think the biggest thing for me is when working with an operator is like, how do we figure out a way to establish that common ground and connect personally with them and establish a rapport with them? And once you have that rapport, you in a lot of ways sometimes have their respect. And once you have their respect, you have the ability to really speak into, you know, decisions that they're making and they're, you know, going to seek to understand and seek to hear you out a lot more often. Welcome to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Rains. Do you wish your employees were more engaged? Do you want your people to look forward to going to work? Join us as we discover ways to define, measure, and grow your culture. We'll also discover pitfalls to help you avoid common mistakes. We want to help you intentionally build a culture that fits you. Welcome back to the Build Your Culture Brand podcast. I have with me today, Drew Allen, and we're excited about talking to Drew today. I've known Drew for a few years. Welcome, Drew, to the show. Hey, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. J. Excited to be here. So I've known Drew for a few years. Drew, you and I met um, when, the, so you're, you're originally from, well, you were working at College Station at the time, and I was coaching Gerald Huggins' team here where, where I'm at. I'm actually in Gerald's, I, I actually office with Gerald even now. And uh, so Gerald Huggins' team at the time, y'all had two locations, South College Station and Aggie land. And there's a whole lot of stories around that, but, but y'all were in pursuit of pretty soon after I met you, y'all were in pursuit of a third location and, and you were able to win that. So three locations you've worked in that environment, but what's been going on since you left here? What, tell us a little bit about what, what program you're in right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, for the last two years, I've been serving in Chick-fil-A Inc's leadership development program. Um, it's a program where um, it's designed to take high-level restaurant leaders and you know elevate them and promote them and um, push them into whatever's next and exciting in their world. Um, in this program, we get to serve in two primary roles. One is an interim manager and one is a grand opening supervisor or GOS. Um, and as an interim manager, we help run core restaurants um, when an operator is you know transitioning, relocating, or um, you know moving to a different store. Or um, in the grand opening supervisor role, we serve as grand opening supervisors, um, we get to partner and come alongside operators and their teams um, and help um, them prepare to open their restaurant and um, whatever community they may be, you know, getting to serve. I'm imagining the different listeners. And so we're going to we're going to kind of dive into that whole LDP world a little bit. I know there's some listeners that want to know more about that. Before we dive into all that, I'd love for people to kind of get to know you a little bit better. And so here's here's kind of our our typical question, what drew, what is your leadership superpower? And along with that, the kryptonite, leadership kryptonite? No, absolutely. So um, my superpower, I'd like to say, is the ability for me to connect personally um, with almost nearly anybody I come across. Um, I'm one of those people that I could talk to all day long. And as my wife likes to say, I've never met a stranger. Um, and this has rung true the last two years, especially as I've traveled all over this country. Um, and, and really love getting to, to connect with different operators and their teams. Okay. So that plays right into, I mean, you've, you've had to move every few weeks, sometimes uh, overnight. We'll talk about that too, like a surprise phone call and you got to go, go now. So yeah, meeting people has to be a superpower, but every superpower has kryptonite. So what's your leadership kryptonite? No, absolutely. So I would say I also have a skill to like make relatively accurate decisions pretty quickly, but a lot of times I can be too decisive and in being too decisive, it can be perceived as maybe not, um, not connecting personally, like I love doing or caring and maybe the way that I would want to be. 
And so I would say it's oftentimes that can be too decisive and too quick to maybe make some decisions. There's this sense that empathy gets lost or it, it feels like empathy may be there in your heart, right? But it just doesn't get translated in the moment because you're moving fast. Mm, that's really good. Okay. Yeah, that's a great way awesome. to sum it up. Okay. Well, I always love talking to you, Drew. I mean, I always learn something new and, and I appreciate your journey. You've, you've really just, you know, you've had so many opportunities. You've, you've uh, led in different capacities with Gerald Huggins here in College Station. You had opportunity to, you know, see a grand opening happen right there, but you've also, you know, been around the country and let me just kind of getting into LDP. There's some people listening that are thinking, I'm thinking about getting into the leadership development program. Like, what do you feel like was something that helped you stand out in that interview process in LDP? Because that, that's a tough process. There's a lot of people wanting to get in. No, absolutely. I think the one thing that really um, set me apart or diversified and diversified myself, but also just like led to being successful in a program would be knowledge of the restaurant. Um, like at the end of the day, we are a restaurant company. We are, a, we are in the restaurant business. And I think um, that was one thing that Gerald really, really instilled in, in me with my time in him with him really well was like, I spent time running like the back of house at one restaurant, I spent time running the front of house, spent time running the entire restaurant. Um, but I just knew the ins and outs of a restaurant really, really well. Um, and that would give me a lot of, um, you know, legs to stand on, if you will, when it came time to interview and kind of go through the application process. Oh, that's good. I, and, and, and I know you have a lot of confidence in that. So that, that really helps. And it's probably helped you. You did some grand openings and stuff before you even went into LDP too. So just that breadth of, you know, it's just not the same in every location. There's so many different nuances. No, you're exactly right. And, and that was something that really run true with my time at Gerald's restaurants. I mean, Yes, they were all freestanders, but between each restaurant was very, very different. You know, from a, a restaurant was an old Burger King, um, and then another restaurant that was a brand new restaurant, and another restaurant almost eight years later, there's another new restaurant. Just the evolution of design and layout and how Chick-fil-A has continued to improve was, you know, you, very true from the first restaurant to the second restaurant to the third restaurant with Gerald. Yeah, I know culture's a big thing, and that that's probably a topic maybe for another interview, but even there, you're, you're indicating that, yes, those three locations, the goal is to have a similar uh, culture, but yet recognizing each location is going to have a nuanced culture, even even within the same town, even a few miles from each other, even with the same leadership. So, oh, absolutely, absolutely, there are differences, and every difference makes an, has an impact. All right, so all that adapting you did there has now you're having to play that forward into all the adapting that you're having to do around the country. Where, what are some of the states you've been in? Just to kind of name off, where, where all did you go in the last couple of years? Yeah, so I've been, let's see, Connecticut, Ohio, um, Indiana, Texas, uh, South Carolina, Wisconsin, uh, Mississippi, uh, New York City, uh, Washington, D.C., um, California, and I am uh, excited to say that I'm currently serving um, Chick-fil-A's third restaurant in the great state of Hawaii. All right. There's the big reveal. So on the, on the island there, and uh, you've, already, you've just been out there, what, about a month? Yeah, just uh, about four or five weeks. Yeah, we, um, yeah, been out for a few weeks. Okay. And so I want to get into that because there's some unique challenges about, you know, logistics and just grand opening in Hawaii in general. So... 
Um, you were telling me the other day about, you know, what's a typical tenure? Like, what does it look like to be there? And you're more right now on the grand opening side. You've been on the interim manager side and, and that's, you know, kind of first year interim manager and then second year was more grand opening. What is a typical grand opening interaction? How long does that last? No, absolutely. Um, and you're, and you're exactly right. I spent the first year of my time in LDP as an interim manager and the, the second year most recently as a grand opening supervisor so far. Um, but as far as like a specific grand opening goes, um, we typically would get on ground somewhere between um, five and eight weeks prior to the projected grand opening date. And we're going to partner, come alongside that operator and their team and really help, like I say, steer the ship through the grand opening season. Um, whether it's an external or uh, operator who has no Chick-fil-A experience or somebody who has a lot of restaurant experience or Chick-fil-A specific experience, that same level of support can exist for their first restaurant. Um, and so we partner with them in those weeks leading up, help prepare the restaurant to get open. There's a lot of small detailed nitty gritty logistics that go into preparing a restaurant um, to get open, not just from a, you know, restaurant side, but also the business side. And so we try to take the restaurant piece off of that operator's plate as much as possible so that we're able to um, really, really, really let them focus on what matters the most, which is the people in their community. And so we work a lot with the their leaders on um, inventory. We work a lot on like training plans and like preparing them um, and talk about what it looks like around the grand opening season. And then, um, you know, as we prepare to open the restaurant, we partner with them to plan things like the dedication dinner, um, maybe some um, training days for their new team. And then ultimately we'll stay on ground with our trainers um, who come out to come partner with the operator of their team to train and set them up for success for the, next, the couple of weeks following the support, uh, for a couple of weeks of, of support following the restaurant's grand opening. Yeah, that, that helps a lot because I think what you're describing here is grand opening isn't real life for an operator, right? An operator is someone who's running the, the location and grand opening is kind of this season of getting ready and there's so much involved that they're ne maybe never, or at least for many years, not going to have to do again. And you want to set them up for success. So that I would imagine, you know, this is a leadership podcast, right? This is a culture podcast. So I'll, I'll, I'd love to unpack a little bit more about here you are coming in they're the owner. There's a, 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 a lady that's been selected or a gentleman that's been selected to, to own this location, to lead this location. But you're coming in as a leader with a lot of experience and knowledge and checklists and things. So how do you manage that ownership piece? Yeah, they're the owner, but you have some ownership here. How do you manage that ownership, that leadership dynamic with them? They're in charge, but yet you need some level of control about what's happening. No, absolutely. And I, and I think it's at the end of the day, you hit it right. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head. Like it is their business and they're the owner operator. We are merely here to support them. And so it's a, it's a little bit of mutual coexistence, if you will, in the way that we come alongside and partner with them. And so we, um, all decisions are ultimately up to them. We're there to offer expertise and offer guidance and recommendations or maybe best practices, how we've seen in the past or what has worked well. Um, but ultimately, it's their responsibility as it is their business. And so we want to give that decision-making power to them. And so we just partner with them, come alongside them, and kind of guide and steer the ship. Um, and But ultimately, let them be the one, you know, controlling the rudder, if you will. Thank you. And probably each operator is a bit different, right? They have their own style. You know, you mentioned earlier that some of them are external. And what that means is they 
maybe they were in the military, they were in, they were a superintendent of schools, or they were doing something else in, in the real world, right? And then there's others that are, have come up kind of through the culture of Chick-fil-A, they may already understand a lot. So you're, you're having to navigate even their, their experience. And so some may rely on you more, some may rely on you less. I think the biggest thing for me is when working with an operator, it's like, how do we figure out a way to establish that common ground and connect personally with them and establish a rapport with them? And once you have that rapport, you in a lot of ways sometimes have their respect. And once you have their respect, you have the ability to really speak into, you know, decisions that they're making and they're, you know, going to seek to understand and seek to hear you out a lot more often. Um, I think the, the biggest thing when it comes to partnering with an operator, though, is that like, hey, they have a lot of different people speaking into them, whether that's other mentors, other um, other operators, um, other people in the community, other restaurateurs, um, much less past experiences, family members, friends, like all these people speaking in. And so we really, we can't control, you know, who they decide to listen to or who, how they decide to like, you know, pursue whichever direction. But the, um, the biggest thing is, is like, for me, how do I establish that common ground and partner with them and come alongside them and, and you know, essentially earn their trust and earning the right to be heard. That's good. And so you get to use your superpower there and start off and you start with that relational connection, right? And then, but then you have your kryptonite. And so you're, you're making fast decisions and there, I would imagine there might be points where that has to be another conversation of, Hey, I, I did make a quick decision here, but how, how do you handle that? Where you've, maybe you've made a decision that you felt like you had to make in the moment and how do you how do you recover from that with an operator or even with other GOSs that you're working with? You know, I, I love the word grace, Dr. J. And I think um, the word grace like transcends everything here. And I think that's the most important thing is that like if you have the relationship um, with somebody, um, there is like as I would say, the grace street is a two way street. It's not a one way street. And so if you're willing to extend grace, um, it's only um, fair, I think that you can expect grace in return. And so just with a lot of understanding, a lot of grace and a lot of like, um, yeah, hum humility and willingness to just like own up and say, Hey, I messed up. I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done this, or I should have said this, or Hey, hindsight's 2020. And this is probably a better direction to go in. But I think the, the someone I'll the best word would be just with a lot of grace. That's good. That's good. Cause I mean, really I'm, I'm on a little bit on the outside of the whole LDP thing, you know, I haven't lived that. And so from my perspective, it seems like it's kind of a canned plan. You know, you would think it's Chick-fil-A, right. And they have it, there's a plan you follow the plan, you just execute, you know, step one, step two, step three, but I'm sure there's a lot of that there, but we're dealing with contextualizing that plan. And so probably there's, there's choices that have to be made that, that aren't, you can't predict you have, you find out in the moment that, oh, we've got to pivot and let's make a plan together. Does that, does that happen uh, like pretty regularly uh, like on a daily basis or weekly basis? How would you say those pivots have, how often do those pivots have to happen? Yeah, I would say like, Pretty significant pivots are not a regular thing. Um, I think the biggest thing there is because we spend like pretty dedicated time early on when we first get on ground with an operator is like getting to know them um, and, and seeking to really understand their vision, like what is their why, um, and really getting kind of a grasp on who they are and what they want their business to be and what they want their business to stand for. And so as we get to know those pieces of their, you know, their day to day or what they want their day to day to be, 
we're able to almost help um, use those as a decision filter in the way that we maybe advise or recommend or coach or guide through that green opening process. Okay. So establish that right up front. And I would, I'd imagine that puts some money in that relational bank early on to say, Hey, I, I want to understand your decision filter so that I can follow, you know, what are your priorities? What's really important to you? So that as we're making decisions, we can keep those at the top. There was a time, I guess you were at a location and you got a phone call. What, tell what happened. So there, you, you had to pack up pretty quick and make a move. Tell us what was going on in that situation. Where were you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I was serving a grand opening in South Mississippi. Um, and, and while there, um, woke up to a phone call the morning of grand opening. Um, so mine didn't say this phone call was quite early and I uh, woke up to a phone call <laughs> saying, Hey, I need you to go to New York. And I said, okay, um, what part of New York and when? And she said, New York, New York, as in the city, and as soon as possible. Um, I said, okay. So um, packed my bags, um, was on the phone with our travel booking company while I'm driving to the airport, drove down to New Orleans and caught the first flight I could from New Orleans in New York City and um, walked into the restaurant that I was being asked to go support in New York City less than, I don't know, probably 10 hours after I got that phone call. Um, and what really was ultimately happening was the opportunity to get support and, and really be present and love on another participant um, who's, uh, yeah, just had some like family situations going on. And it was something that very exciting family situation, but the opportunity to get to come up there and, and support them and be with them. Um, and it was a really cool, awesome experience. And one that is not common in the LDP where you get a, a phone call day of, um, but it was uh, an experience that, you know, and when I look back on it, are very thankful for just uh, the relationships and friendships that came out of that, that season. That's exciting. And so you mentioned Emily, uh, you and Emily have been married for a few years and y'all got married knowing that this, this was a possibility that you'd be on the road, um, so there have been some unique challenges challenges with kind of living out of a suitcase. What tell us a little bit about married life, you know, no children, but married life on the road. What have been some joys of that and what have been some challenges? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, provide some context. Like I've been with Chick-fil-A for coming up on seven years, but Emily and I've been married for about three and a half at this point. And uh, so when, when we got married, like Dr. J said, very much was interested in pursuing, you know, the LDP opportunity. Um, when we decided to actually pursue it and I got selected, it was a, um, a dream come true that I've been working towards for the last couple of years prior. Um, but my wife, um, Emily, she's a nurse. And so for us, she, uh, um, <clears throat> nursing is something she's super passionate about and something she's really good at. And I've always said, who am I to take her away from something like that? Um, something that is so, that's something that she's so passionate about, something that she cares about so much, and also something that she's just really good at. And so I've always said, who am I to take that away from her? Um, just in pursuit of my career and what I love with Chick-fil-A. And then so the last, um, just over two years, Emily has worked as a nurse in Texas um, on a part-time basis where she works a couple shifts a week instead of full-time. And um, she tries to like work with her, her bosses and her team to schedule to where she works all of her shifts kind of together. And then she comes to visit and live with me on an assignment wherever we are. And so we kind of joke that um, she's a nurse that travels, but not a traveling nurse. Um, and so right. over the last two years, she, um, she gets to come visit and live with me and 
you know, she's come to almost every seminar I've been on and been with us, um, you know, on the road. And so we say that wherever I am is home and she travels back to Texas for work. That, that's awesome. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah, hey, no, it is. Fun really fact, great. our so, wives actually are both nurses and they worked at the same hospital before you're in the LDP. So not now, but before they worked at the same hospital. So that's kind of a fun fact. Um, to answer, I guess, go back though. I didn't fully answer your question there, Dr. J, but to answer some like challenges that come with married life on the road, I think for Emily and I, the biggest one is that, um, like a lack of community. I think it's been the hardest thing for Emily and I in a married life. Um, we have community with each other. Um, and we've had like really significant growth, I'd say in our marriage over the last two years. Um, but on some assignments we could be there by ourselves or we could be the only married couple, um, or we could be hours from the next closest participant. And so, um, it's almost this weird like feeling of like, oh, I want to get to know people and I'd love to get to know you, but I'm also don't know how I'm going to be here. And so I don't know like how much time I'm actually going to have to get to know somebody. Um, perfect example being when I was in Southern Mississippi, I was going to be there for a few weeks, ended up being there for four days. Um, oh, wow. So I think that's been one of the biggest challenges in it for Emily and I, but then I'd say for us more, uh, maybe on it more intimately, it would just be like the challenge of time zones, the challenge of travel. Um, Emily going back and forth pretty regularly is very atypical. It's not the standard you know, way that people in LDP, I guess, do LDP, if you will. But it is a uh, what works for us and what we've really enjoyed. Um, but there are definitely challenges that come along that. I mean, right now, I'm currently four, about to be five hours from the central time zone. And, um, you know, there are definitely like challenges when it comes to talking to family. You know, if I normally talk with my parents and Emily you know, and I talk to her parents after we eat dinner, well, after we eat dinner here, it's midnight in Texas. And so oh, just wow. a very, very different um, different challenge. But that's true anywhere we've been from the West Coast to the East Coast, like time change and travel is just, it's something that you don't think about when you live in the same time zone as, you know, all of your family or friends and people that you kind of do life with regularly. So navigating that and the extra pressures uh, can, can put stress on your marriage, but it can also force y'all to to work through some things that you might not otherwise have worked through, right? Oh no, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're very, very thankful for our time in LDP. Our marriage is 100% undoubtedly better and stronger today because of our time in LDP um, than where we started. What are some of those uh, weekly or daily rhythms that you've added just for your marriage to to make sure that you know there, there is time focused there? Because now knowing grand openings kind of get, there's a crazy point, right? Where it just, there's a lot of hours invested in a very short amount of time. But around that, what do y'all do to uh, the rhythms that you have? Yeah, no, absolutely. I see around the grand opening season, that's the one caveat or the asterisk, if you will. But right. um, beyond the grand opening season, and when I really love spending our morning together. Um, and so getting up early, um, we're also early to bed. So I guess early to bed, early rise is very true for us, but um, getting up early, spending our morning together, um, even if it's just 30 minutes or an hour, but just getting some kind of quality time together um, in the morning. Um, I love getting to cook Kimberly breakfast um, and she loves having me cook her breakfast. And so there you go. that works really well. And we, uh, we enjoy getting to do that and then spend some time in the word. Um, and just talking about what does our day look like together and what, how are we going to kind of partner and team up together to make sure that today's a great day. Um, one thing that I will say that I consistently love about Emily and about our marriage is that um, we have like we have because of her the mindset that like every experience is what you make of it. And so uh, she is a big, big, big believer and a big um, 
champion of like, hey, we're going to make the most of every day. We're going to make the most of every experience because that's who we are and that's what we do. And I am better because of her because of that. You know, that that's a big topic right now. I mean, in, in Audubon is mindset and perspective. And I call it, you know, that framing. How do we frame what's happening here? And so, you know, that I love that picture of Emily contributing to the framing of let's, let's, yes, we could look at it that way, but there's also another way to look at it and let's find the beauty in this moment too. So, so you're surrounded by beauty right now. What, what would be your view like out the window? What, what is that view? Oh, we all, I'm curious. You're on, you're in Hawaii. I am in Hawaii. Yes. Um, I can kind of look out and see a little bit of the ocean and some of the other high rises that are in Honolulu. Um, yeah, kind of in the downtown ish area. What's unique about doing a, what, okay. Culturally what's unique about Hawaii, but also logistically what's unique about Hawaii as far as, you know, yeah. Logistics and all that involved. Yeah, absolutely. So from a culture perspective, I'd say it's just very, very different than what is traditional in the mainland, right? I mean, Hawaii is one of the last states to join the U.S. And um, I would say like one of the only states I believe to ever have its own language. And so um, it has this very, very deep, deep cultural roots, um, deeper than I've ever seen before in the U.S. And so really, really cool, but a really just different experience. Um but the one thing that I'd say has really helped bridge that gap is that the Hawaiian culture aligns really, really similarly with Chick-fil-A culture. Um, and to like boot, the operator here um, is a local native Hawaiian, and he is doing a great job of like kind of connecting and relating the two um, in the way that he's like kind of bridging the gap and bringing, you know, Chick-fil-A, our beloved brand, to, you know, his hometown community. Um, and then from a logistics standpoint, he, you know, like I said, like we're five or six hours, five or six time zones away from the East Coast where Chick-fil-A is based. Um, yes, we have a small office in, in the West Coast in Irvine, California, but the um, majority of our corporate support center staff are based on the East Coast. And so there's a lot of challenges that come with time zones. But then just from a, a logistics standpoint, um, when we think about inventory or even just materials for construction, um, everything that's on this island comes out via container ship. Um, and so there's a lot larger lead times that are needed um, which is, you know, led for our team. And I know the construction team as well. Like it's forced a lot more proactivity and ultimately a lot more ownership because that proactivity is required. Ownership. Yeah, that's good. And one of the things I, I love that, I love that you added that word ownership, because I think that's something that's missed in the idea of ownership of, you know, we, we think of ownership as, okay, I'll own the, the problem of the day, or I'll own that we weren't ready for today. But there's another idea of ownership that says, I own next week. I own next month. I'm thinking so far ahead on potential challenges. Like that's another concept that should be baked into ownership of. I, I own it to the degree that, you know, you take a, like a shift leader or someone who's making the schedule. I own today's schedule and the problems of today, but do I own next week's schedule and potential challenges of someone calling out what's been one of your favorite ldp assignments maybe, maybe it's hawaii but is there another one that would come to mind a, a favorite assignment you've had yeah absolutely um i'd say last summer we got to spend about three months in southern california um, in the palm desert palm springs area 
Um, Palm Desert, California was where the restaurant was located. Um, and for a couple of reasons, this was one of our favorites, but I'd say the things that really stand out were um, we had an incredible team of GOSs. Um, we all became really close, a very tight knit. Um, but even more so, I think, I think what really added to the close knit and tightness of our GOS team was the operator um, and his wife and his family and the way that they sought us out, pursued um, that connection, um, pursued the community piece and really, really valued us and um, sought to know us and develop like really deep relationships. Um, I mean, still to this day, that operator and I talk weekly and, and we are very close friends and, and actually have a trip planned to go visit them later this year. Um, and so we are really close with them. And so, you know, between the relationships are what we made that assignment really, um, really special and, and significant. And the fact that it was in, in Southern California where we typically have like a high demand um, just added to the fact of the awesome GOS team to make it a really great assignment. Um, one of the other things I would add is that um, was the perfect assignment? Absolutely not. Um, there were things that we could have done better. We definitely made some mistakes, but I think the cool thing that you know res resonates in my mind is what made the assignment so great was that we recognized that we had the the hindsight to go, man, we could have done that better, and, and next time we will. Um, so it's saying that we learned and we had takeaways um, from that assignment itself. What? Uh, okay, let's let me capitalize on that for just a minute. What would be a failure? that you feel like, and this doesn't have to be from LDP, but just looking at your leadership journey, what's something that you feel like is a failure that actually ended up propelling you forward as a leader? I applied to LDP prior to when I've been married and even having started dating and getting told no to LDP the first time was one of the hardest seasons of my life, but also one of the best things that could have ever happened. Um, so that was a, a moment of rejection and, and likely failure, you could say. Uh, but it is absolutely, it that was like a, a linchpin, I guess you could say, and absolutely propelling me forward to where I am today. I remember those moments. I, I, I remember talking with you as you got that news and it, it was, yeah, it was really hard. It, it was actually kind of, it was hard for, for me to even see because one, I saw your performance in, in what you were doing and your level of acuity about just Chick-fil-A in general and but yeah, I, I can see how you use that to really propel yourself forward. And also it helped with timing on this marriage thing that just all of a sudden popped up out of, it was just amazing how you and Emily got to meet. And that was in that season where, you know, it might not have happened if you hadn't gotten that no. So no, you're absolutely right. That no led to a lot of other great yeses. And as, as, I, as, as I always like to say, um, the Lord has a plan and we're just along for a ride. So we might as well just buckle up. <laughs> just buckle up. I love that. Well, hey, Drew, I, I appreciate your experience in sharing about your journey here. I, I had a question though, kind of to an, that, that's focused on another listener. So there might be some Chick-fil-A owner, owner operators listening in and they may be getting ready to grand open and they're about to receive a grand opening supervisor or, or several, I guess, that, that are coming. What kind of advice might you offer them? Humbly, of course, you know, like what, what would be some, some ideas about how to best utilize a grand opening supervisor that's coming their way? Yeah, no, I think the, the one thing that jumps right to the top of my mind when I think of this question is that I would encourage operators to create community, um, find ways to have quality time with those, those individuals. Um, 
find a way to, whether that's opening up your home, taking them out to dinner, but give them some feeling or some sense of like, um, of home. Uh, I think like one thing that I've really loved and I have gotten to just a couple operators, but having like regular time outside of the restaurant space, um, outside of working hours. Um, and so whether that's weekly, whether that's every other week or, you know, two or three times a month, just trying to get, get together, but just getting quality time together outside of the restaurant, um, and outside of the office and outside of the restaurant space. And we're not talking about Chick-fil-A, but we're talking about what are our hobbies? What are your kids' hobbies? What do you, you know, do in your free time or, um, you know, how did you end up in this random city in this random state? Um, and so just really, really, really leaning into that personal connection, because I think it's so easy in this relationship to be transactional. Um, but I would say the ability to be, um, the ability for these relationships to be like transcending is like there. And I think that there is an opportunity for um, really, really great relationships, really great friendships, and ultimately like really great support to happen um, because that friendship exists. That's good. Good advice. Yeah. Community really comes down to community and that could, and obviously there's going to be friction points somewhere along the way. And so building that community adds to that grace bucket, adds to that uh, thinking the best of each other bucket, right? So mm -hmm. that when like our friend, Michael Bringman, who just opened a location down the road here and they have a crazy water feature that happens that morning and delays the, I mean, all the kinds of crazy, we'll let him tell his own story, but uh, some crazy stuff happened on grand opening morning and, you know, stuff just happens and you've got to figure out what to do in those crazy moments. So, well, thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the time and these far away time zone. I hated to interrupt you on your, any beach time you might've had today. I, I feel really terrible. I'm not, no beach time today. No beach time. It is 9 a.m. out here. Do not worry. We are we are a full work day still ahead. No, okay. no beach time right. whatsoever. Good. So we'll get you started on your day and um, looking forward to talking with you again. Thanks for sharing about your journey through LDP and uh, the, the journey in. And also we're looking forward to all the exciting things that are next for you. I know you've got some amazing things, possibilities out there in the future. So we look forward to the day of hearing more about all that is in store in your future. So thanks for being on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and a, and a joy to get to be here with y'all. Hey, listeners, uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you want to learn more about this podcast or anything more about how to build your culture brand, go to buildyourculturebrand.com. There is a free assessment you can use for yourself and your team. And uh, I'd love for you to, and you can also connect to our our other platforms where on YouTube and Spotify and all the places where this podcast is available. So buildyourculturebrand.com. Thank you for listening to Build Your Culture Brand with Dr. Jay Raines. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Visit our website at buildyourculturebrand.com for our free culture brand assessment. See you next time. We would like to note that LeadersQ serves individual owner-operators and their teams and is not affiliated, endorsed by, or in any way officially connected with Chick-fil-A Incorporated.